This is Parks Miller from Podcast 99, and I've got a special installment of the Survivor Series coming for you. This is from Rick E. Lewis. Now, he was actually uh, working and living in Rome at the time. He worked for a local Fox News affiliate and was able to get his hands on a brand new digital mini dv camera uh and so he filmed a ton of stuff at woodstock uh, a lot of his footage got used in the hbo documentary and also two years ago he made his own woodstock 99 documentary before during and after woodstock 99 20th anniversary edition is the name of it uh, and he interviews a lot of people uh, a lot of local people at woodstock in 99 and then he interviewed some of them 10 years later and then he interviewed some of them 20 years later uh so he is a really great uh, wealth of information he also even had some footage and knew stephen b waters who was part of our mystery tape so here it is everyone rick e lewis hey rick hello how's it going well, I'm uh, I'm okay. It's uh, supposed to snow snow outside, but um, the weather people have been extremely wrong as of late. So, not anticipating much. Uh, and tell me wh- where where are you right now? Well, I'm in uh, Central New York, near Syracuse, okay. city of Rome, where Rome. Woodstock '99 is from. Absolutely. Um, and uh, that's where I am now in the basement. Awesome, cool. And uh, how have you? been living there your whole life or well my parents moved here my i moved here with my parents um when i was in high school okay uh there my father was in the air force so i spent most of the years up till i moved to rome in uh europe mostly in the netherlands germany and greece okay um and did you move to rome because of like the air force base there yeah, well, well, that's why my father moved here because the air base. Uh, since then, I've moved in and out of the area several times, and uh, I actually moved here uh, months before Woodstock '99. Uh, I was working at a TV station, mm-hmm. uh, Fox affiliate that was in Rome, and uh, because of all the uh, unknown factors, th- the city basically shut down. So there was no UPS, there was no FedEx, they didn't know if the mail would go through. So I worked at a TV station and they said, well, uh, it's be- before the heavy use of the internet, and they said, we, we, we can't do anything. We got no mail. Um, so essentially everybody has the time off. So I just took a bunch of equipment and went to Woodstock and film the local community and stuff for a week or so. Amazing. So your so your entry point was that you were there, you were local and that this huge event was coming to your town. Yeah, it was I mean you got to realize the town uh, city of Rome uh, the base had moved and, and and so there was a huge vacuum and it was basically the people from this area 
and this is extremely a rural area and uh, some people were really looking forward to it and a lot of the people in the rural parts were dreading it uh, in the little documentary I made uh, I what I did was I recorded radio all the radio broadcasts mm -hmm. for about two weeks I uh, put in the uh, long play long recording VHS six-hour tapes and I come by home every six hours and put in a new uh, VHS tape and I taped all the news and talk shows and uh, I put them together and most of the conversations they were having with people were oh my god the town's gonna be destroyed mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sleeping with a gun next to my bed and I had all this kind of uh, hysteria going on in lots of parts of the uh, community but um, parts did look you know look forward to doing it a lot of them you know wanted it but once again, you're in a rural area, so once you start getting out there, a lot of those people didn't really want this here. Mm -hmm. um, I was not one of those people. You were, you were excited. Oh, I, 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 I figured this would be one of the uh, great things that I got to be part of without putting much effort into mm -hmm. since it was coming right here in the backyard. Right. And since I did work at the TV station, I was hooked at Fox, um, they gave us free passes, media passes. So I had the week off, a bunch of equipment, and media passes. So I got some friends of mine and myself, and we went and we, uh, you know, we took video and we had a great time. So, and I, I know you just ex explained it, but can you go and so they shut everything down for a week? Well, just they what they did was, yeah, they they shut a lot of businesses down for for actually the the. Uh, Maybe the Wednesday before mm -hmm. uh, the show started, they pretty much started shutting things down because they anticipated the large number of people and that they said, well, nobody would be able to get around traffic-wise. Mm -hmm. So a lot of businesses were shut for those days. As it turned out, uh, they did a really great job with the traffic. Unless you were going to the concert, you wouldn't even know there was a concert going on. It was Wow, it was fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the the you know all the all the horror stories uh, did not did not happen. Oh, okay. um, the the fire at the end of the show did happen. Yes. but with the exception of that, it was pretty much a smooth operation here. I did I did hear a couple reports of like certain uh, from some of our other survivor stories of like like a Burger King bathroom that got kind of absolutely destroyed throughout the weekend was there even was there any stuff like as people were leaving the concert did you experience anything like that any chaos in the town well, um not really i mean i i don't you know and i'll even include the fire portion of it i think a lot of the sensational headline grabbing uh events and occurrences were really a, a bit blown out of proportion um, I like to use as a barometer when you you say it's a football game. How many mm -hmm. people got mugged during that weekend? Mm -hmm. How many car accidents were there? Right. How many? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They didn't. Those those things they try to keep to a minimum, and they talk about the game, and right. you never you never hear that. Come on, you don't think there are dozens of car accidents? during a, a, a hundred thousand people coming to a yeah. area to watch a football game you mean there aren't any fights in the parking lot there's people in it especially if it's like a championship game you you see 
people are flipping cars over, lighting cars on fire. Exactly. Know, they might be destroying uh, traffic lights or stealing signs off of uh, businesses, street signs, what have you. Right. So. And, and and we see that kind of stuff happens. But like, say if it happens in a, in a bigger city, say it happens in New York or Philadelphia or any number of large cities. Yeah, they do that. And it ends up being another story of craziness. When you're in a small area, a rural area, and something like that happens, it's like the biggest thing that has happened in years. Mm -hmm. in, a, in a major city, these things happen all the time. There's fires, there's explosions, there's killings. Those are going on all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, an incident like that, we yeah, would get a little headline because it happened. But here, it was like, you know, it's the biggest story. And it's been like 20 years. It's right. still the biggest story. And I mean, I guess you could say before then, w would it be fair to say that the biggest story was the Air Force Base closing? Well, the Air Force Base closed, and so did the factory, Revereware. Mm -hmm. That closed. So that was a huge, both of those were, were, were just uh, destroyed the area. I did not live here in those period of time. I was, uh, I was traveling around with a, a hotel uh, group. Uh, around the country so i wasn't really in the area i moved back here just before woodstock 99 uh and and the end of 898 mm -hmm. uh, uh, so so I, I really didn't see any of that when i came back the base was gone okay um the factory was closed Got and it. i could see the difference in the way that the city was because they didn't have all that influence from the base the mm -hmm. big thing with a base I mean, besides, you know, whatever your political stance on the military is, you're bringing people in from all walks of life all over the planet of all different levels of education and skills. And when you go into a community like this, a rural community, you're, you're really bringing a different type of element mm -hmm. into the uh, environment. And all those people left. So the people that are here now or, or were here at that time were the people who might own stores and other businesses from the base. And and then a lot of those people that work at those stores and that live in the rural community. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden, you're back to being a small town. Mm -hmm. And you're having an event this big mm -hmm. in the small town. Right. You know. It it, it 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 did shock some people. Right. Some of the, one of the things in the documentary that I made, uh, you know, I have a lot of the radio commentaries, and this guy uh, was he was fishing for people to insult the concert, mm -hmm. and um, he says he's talking to a, a phone in listener, and the guy, you know, he's telling the guy, "Would you want another Woodstock here?" And the guy says, "Yeah, yeah, it was great, you know, mm -hmm. blah blah blah." He goes, "But they were selling drugs and everything." He goes. You don't think they're selling drugs right down the street right now? Mm -hmm. They didn't come to town and bring anything new. Right. It's like going on every day here. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, that's kind of, uh, you know, like I said, focusing on it as a Woodstock issue, because it's a small community it, it, and the media was there, and I don't want to blame the media, but the fact that those are the things that sell. Mm -hmm. um, I went there the day after the fire, mm -hmm. and I was because I was documenting the whole thing. And I don't know if you were at the concert or had gone there, but the area that everybody was looking at was really the size of a couple of tractor trailers. Mm -hmm. The area that the concert was on 
was like over a mile. Mm -hmm. So so imagine when you see the visuals, it looks like you know, and it would look like the whole place was on fire. In fact, I had people calling me at the TV station. I'd be talking to them about something, and then they'd say things like, "So how are you guys doing?" Mm-hmm. And I'd go, "What do you mean? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean the fire." Mm-hmm. The fire, mm-hmm. unless you were watching television or you were there, you didn't even know it was there. It was mm-hmm. like, wasn't that, mm-hmm. it was like a house fire. Right, right. About that right. size. But, mm-hmm. but, but reporting it, it looked like the whole city was burning. It was right. like, li- literally a little bit bigger than a house fire. Interesting. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. And I, yep. I suppose also having, so, you know, something like a tractor trailer on fire is just going to be a potent image, right? You don't see those right. on fire very much. So. Right. I mean, there were other there are other things going on there in the pandemonium of the evening. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, once again, eh, look, I, I've seen worse, like you mentioned before, after, hey, we won a basketball game. We won mm-hmm. the championship and four or five cars get torched. Mm-hmm. Buildings get broken into. It happens. It's not even a story the next week. Mm-hmm. Done. Yeah. We're 20 years later and they're talking about something that's not even the same size as that. Mm-hmm. And 20 years later is the biggest thing in the area. And, and, and that's just, you know, it's because of where it was held. Um, and uh, so you, I, so I just wanted to say part of this uh, podcast is me and my co-host Ryan, neither of us uh, went to Woodstock 99. This is we're we're more of like the revivalist interest in it. And uh, I mean, we like to pride ourselves in that we just were extremely comprehensive uh, in the coverage, but we would have both been uh, probably maybe 11 or 12 at the time that Woodstock 99 happened. So it was more of something like as we were becoming teenagers and adolescents, sort of seeing it being promoted on MTV, hearing about the fallout, seeing the the soundtrack, being into those new metal bands and kind of like, oh, we really wish we could have gone. Uh, but we, yeah, we were we were too young to have attended. Uh, how old were you at this time? Uh, I was probably in my 40s, 30s <clears throat> at the okay. time. Um, and so um, the, the thing about the concert, I, I, I when I shot it, um, you know, I was there shooting that and it was people were like wanted to be on camera, Mm -hmm. lots of nudity, lots of stuff going on uh, and and filming it. When I saw I sold the my footage to HBO for their documentary. Right. And in the documentary, he mentioned something that was really important that I never actually thought of before. I talked to all the people that I knew that went to the concert and that, that from here and they all had a great time, you know. I mean, it was a great time. And then when I watched the documentary and he started talking about people that were there for three days without under the conditions, I said, yeah, your perspective would be a little bit different if this is where you were for three days. Mm-hmm. But then I also thought a lot of the people who came there camping to go to a concert, this is what they do. They go to places, they sit in the woods, they wipe their butt with leaves. They, <laughs> you know what I mean? They have no running water. Yeah. That's what they expect. I think there were a large number of people who are used to like more of a mall uh, mm. mentality. They went expecting to go to the concert. Yeah. And it's like, what? 
We're yeah. out in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. We got to, you know, and I think that was uh, a big shock for a lot of people because, mm, you know, the people camping, that's what they expected. Yeah. They're going to be in the woods and have yeah. be inconvenienced. I guess that's what's interesting about it to zoom out a little bit is that you have Woodstock 69 and you have sort of this hippie culture, which kind of, you know, there's there were so many hippie festivals uh, starting in the 60s and throughout that time with jam bands and it kind of the stereotype or the thing that you imagine is, yeah, it's it's hippies. Maybe their hair is really dirty. They haven't bathed in weeks. They're used to camping out in these kinds of conditions. Uh, and then maybe part of it was that having the inclusion of so many sort of non-jam band, non-festival type bands, all the new metal bands, all those acts that are bringing in this like very MTV crowd, that, that, yeah. you know, that could have been very different because now you have you have all these festivals, you have like Coachella, you look at the images of Coachella. I mean, everyone looks like they've taken a shower, you know, daily. They're, they're wearing their best outfits. Like they're not dirty at all. I mean, they look like they're doing photo shoots, you know? Right. And, and this was that time. I mean, even for instance, I think Bonnaroo's first year was 1999 and all those bands, it's like widespread panic, fish, Dave Matthews band. It's all of these sort of jam bands. And that image yet yeah, is sort of the mud soaked hippie of Woodstock 69. Right. And that would have, that would have been a more appropriate lineup mm -hmm. for Woodstock 99. Yeah. But I think they were thinking of how can we fill the stands with the hottest groups of the day? Yes. Well, you do realize that these groups are attracting people who like to get pretty rowdy right so what do you think is a good potential mm -hmm. you know if you had a lilith fair type lineup of all these acoustic folksy women mm -hmm. up there singing about you know rights and social issues you're gonna have a lot different crowd than you have a bunch of people coming in break something rage against the machine absolutely yeah and i mean i feel like that's one of the biggest kind of gaffes or what what's so strange about it is having that particular lineup um and calling it woodstock calling it calling it woodstock i mean back in the 60s those bands that you know jimmy hendrix janice joplin sly and the family stone those also were like some of the most popular musical acts at the time um but right. then now you've created this legacy and then if you want to take some of the most you know new metal really was one of the hottest styles happening at the time uh so it's kind of like do you do you book acts that sort of respect the legacy of the 60s do you get jam bands hippie bands or do you get the most popular stuff and you and if it's that's a bunch of aggressive uh metal then yeah technically it is representing the times but then you you try to put the uh the, the whole hippie peace and love thing and those two ideas seem to really not clash but how yeah, you, yeah. yeah they were they were trying to put a hippie a hippie headband on a on a group of metal fans yeah and it just wasn't going to happen i mean and i think that it may come down to the fact that the people promoting it were saying look what are the hottest groups to fill this 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 field what's the what's the what groups will fill it right. without any regard to well you do understand what kind of music mm -hmm. you're asking people to come out to mm -hmm. You know, you 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 know what kind of crowd is going to show up, but I don't think the people who are the bean counters were thinking of it in those terms. They were saying, "How many asses can we put into that place?" Of course, and that's what they did. Right, and the, so, and the ticket prices being, you know, at the time considered to be astronomical. Um, so you 
you have this camera equipment and but you weren't working for the tv station you basically got to borrow the equipment yeah i i actually was borrowing the equipment i wasn't working because we were you know we were shut down and and i used i borrowed the equipment for years for many of my own personal things that's sort of the deal with working there you know like hey if you work at mcdonald's you get free burgers every mm-hmm. shift no that's great <laughs> i mean i love that that's i love that you saw the opportunity uh to take the equipment like and film and then i also feel like in that way you can kind of film whatever you want i mean was there ever an an issue of like okay well this is out the the tv station's equipment so we own the footage well, well, no, that was never an issue because when I taped it, when I recorded it, you know, it, we're now we're looking at a historical fact. But at the time, I just taped this thing. I didn't really get any of the fire stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and, and nobody, we didn't really have news at our station. Mm-hmm. And I just, it was just footage and I had it. And uh, I, what I did was I, the documentary, I went back and I talked to all the key players after 10 years. Mm-hmm. And so it looked back at what they thought then, what they thought in 10 years. Mm-hmm. And then when it was recently, I put the 20th year edition. So I had the same people talking about what it was like 20 years later, 10 years later. Mm-hmm. It was interesting about it that uh, it's brought up a couple times in the, the documentary that I made is like Griffo brings up the point that it was at the turn of the century mm-hmm. and there were a lot of things changing mm-hmm. and you really notice it when you watch you see people in line to use their phone cards to pay, use the pay phone right right you know at mm-hmm. the concert nobody had cell phones mm-hmm. in fact the thing that that was uh, with me is the camera equipment i had was um b- brand new it was like the first uh mini dv digital camera so it was small like it looked like a camcorder but it was actually it was a digital camera so i didn't have a bunch of equipment i just had this little teeny camera and so on one hand i looked like a weekend tourist Mm -hmm. shooting with a home camcorder (laughs) but instead i had like a super high-tech camera so i got really good footage and nobody felt like you know intimidated i did have a media pass so gave me a bit of respectability from people and having a small camera people were really uh open to mm-hmm. being filmed uh lots of girls taking their shirts off for me um <laughs> a lot of them didn't have to they didn't have shirts on mm-hmm. um but i could go pretty much everywhere the media pass and a camera you know most people were very happy mm-hmm. to have me filming stuff right and, and i I was looking for the unusual stories. I really didn't film a lot of the stuff on stage because they had HBO was there filming everything. I was backstage and um, in the crowd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's kind of like because of that small camera, you know, there were the you maybe had some. Some of it seemed you were unassuming, like you were one of everyone else. You weren't followed by like a huge media team. Uh, obviously, no. you know, there's like a famous clip of Carson Daly getting from MTV getting crap thrown at him by hecklers because people said, "Oh, you're MTV. You're part of the problem. You're you're you know bringing in all this bad superficial pop music." So so you didn't get any of that kind of uh, ire or like that kind of uh, disrespect from people. But you were no. able to, you know, no, not at all, not at all. Um... 
I, I didn't I didn't experience any of those types of things when I was filming. Uh, pretty much people were just open to me shooting. Nice. Um, I was by myself. It wasn't a whole team of people. I had a media pass. They, for all they knew, I was, you know, with some org news gathering organization. They didn't really care. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's interesting. Cause we've also heard, uh, we've had some other, uh, people on who have also had sort of similar stories. Uh, David Blostein, who, um, was, uh, he was working for news radio uh, at the time, and so he was actually taking uh, tape tape recording uh, stuff with, so that he could transcribe it later and uh, send it uh, to the news for like as copy for little bits. Um, and I feel I felt like that's also kind of interesting of the era where where technology is kind of it's not yet smartphone time you know what i mean like it's not so ubiquitous so he's got to have a tape recorder with him you know oh no it was it was very like i said it was at the turning point of things going digital mm -hmm. i was talking to a photographer from the local paper the sentinel a uh, john clifford he was taking a lot of photos there and when i was interviewing this is in the 20 years past looking back and he said uh you know we we're talking about the fact that it was the turn of the century and he said yeah the digital stuff was just coming out. I had old film cameras like mm -hmm. they used to have. So I would shoot it. I'd have to run, get back to the the paper, and then we'd have to develop all the film mm -hmm. and then make the prints. Right. And that would take, you'd be up all night to get pictures to go for the next morning. Yeah. And, uh, and he said about three weeks after that concert, they started, they got the new digital uh, Nikon camera. It was one of the first ones on the market. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was saying is I happen to have a new digital camera. Mm -hmm. And that's why uh, my footage went to HBO because, mm -hmm. you know, at that time, most people were just using VHS recorders. Right, right. And I just happened to be a guy who wasn't a news team. This wasn't news footage. Right. This was really footage with me talking to yeah. people. And, and they, they really liked that end of it. Yeah, so I want to I want to talk about the HBO um, and the footage you got into the documentary. But first, since you mentioned the uh, the Sentinels, that that's the Rome Daily Sentinel, correct? The Rome Daily yeah. Sentinel, yeah. So uh, part of our lore at podcast or at podcast ninety nine is that uh, Ryan he's he's sort of the eBay hound, the memorabilia collector, and he actually found a VHS tape that we have dubbed the mystery tape and it's by it was created by uh someone at the rome sentinel uh stephen waters and Steve I, waters and, yes and, and you've got some of his footage in your documentary or some of right. his voice uh and so to us we found it because we're like oh wow this is an actual like on the ground look and kind of the way it's edited is, is it feels like it's this very loose sort of rough draft of a piece that's going to be made later. So he's filming stuff. He's kind of giving some voiceovers, but none of it is very professionally great. It seems like he's doing it at the time and that the intention is that you would take that later and then kind of make it, you would polish it. But it was sort of like, it felt like his recorder, like a reporter's sketchbook of just what was happening at the time. And it's a very fascinating tape we have. Yeah. Well, um, it was once again, it was at the time where I had a digital camera, but yeah, he was probably yeah. using a VHS-C or something yeah. to record it. And, I, and I, I spent a lot of time with him, actually. We were riding around on the media bus. That's so cool. And on the shuttle. 
And so we talked a lot. And he's actually in the documentary that I used it for. I got some interviews from him. And it was, it was so funny as I was, I set up the interview to talk to him, but I didn't know if he was for or against the concert, mm. you know, if I mm. couldn't tell then mm. that day. So when I went to do the interview, when I asked him, so what do you think of the concert? I had no idea where this was going to go. And I, it would definitely have an effect on, you know, what I would, what I would put together. And he pauses for a second. And he goes, I absolutely loved it. I was like, mm. wow, I did not expect that. I thought it was going to start talking about, uh, you know, all the, all the problems there. Mm -hmm. But he mentioned the biggest problem, which I will agree with, is that it was uh, people were using a framed narrative, if you're familiar with the term, yes. framed narrative. They were going out there, I want dirt on Woodstock. Mm -hmm. Go out there and get it. Right. So that, and that's exactly what had what went through, like I said before. If you report the number of traffic accidents, fights, and and robberies at a football game, and those are your lead stories, it of sure course. changes the way people see that game. Right. And you talk about the terrible traffic. It was snarled for blocks. People couldn't get anywhere. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. There were five incidents of robberies. Mm -hmm. Ten people got in, got in fights. Yeah. There were three car accidents. One person was seriously injured. You could do that for days. And, if your frame yeah. narrative is to show the problems caused by having a pro football game in the community. Yes. But they don't do those stories. Yeah, because they fo just, football, for for your example, is just very much woven into you know the fabric of American society. You have football games all the time. It kind of has this huge significance. It's, it's It brings people together. Uh, there, there's absolutely is like a very positive narrative uh, with, with professional football in the U.S. And yeah, I also think that's something that you also have to think of the perspective of how many people attended Woodstock 99. Uh, and I think sometimes it's about the nuance of, yes, there were, there were these fires, there was these, uh, sexual assaults. There was, you know, there were bad things that happened. Um, so it's not to, it doesn't have to be one or the other, you know, but what also happened right. is there were, you know, thousands of people who had the time of their lives, uh, and actually, that's yes. something that I feel like we, with our Survivors uh, series, is that we've actually had quite a few people on who just, you know, just like it was life changing. It was an incredible thing that they took part of. Uh, and to them, yeah, it was a little crazy. It was a little hot. Uh, you know, they were maybe on drugs, partying, whatever. Uh, but, you know, they, they were they were just having a really good time. And so I guess it's just kind of. I think it's important to know that there is a nuance in that story uh, still to be respectful to people who had a, you know, some people did have a life changingly horrible time there as well. And so to keep that respect, uh, but try to let multiple things exist. And I mean, that's, that's really how things usually go down in a, in a true narrative is things don't always, you know, if you really want the whole story, you got to look for the whole story. Right. Exactly. I mean, exactly. And those those things are true that that there were some bad things that happened there. But just like any other any other thing, it's it's there's always bad things. If you focus on the bad things, yeah, you don't see the good of it. And it just sometimes it's warranted mm -hmm. and sometimes it just gets blown out of proportion because people love the that dirty story of course. they want the dirty story and i mean and honestly that's what drew us to the podcast in the first place is that you know because you do hear all this stuff and you know 
the average music festival you go to, their uh, tractor trailers aren't lit on fire. So obviously, it you know that kind of drew drew everyone in, like the fire fest. Uh, that I don't think anyone would have cared at all if that fire fest had gone well, right? It was like, oh, a bunch of rich people blowing their money in the islands. Right. Who cares? Ja Rule was there. The fact that it went south is what made Firefest like it Firefest became so much more famous than it ever would have been if it had gone according to plan. You know? So exactly. We, we, do, we do love exactly. that kind of stuff. Um so I've now, been to um uh, one of the things I found out in uh in Las Vegas, uh they have the uh that's at the uh, Daisy Carnival. Yeah, mm-hmm. going on there, and I've been there. The first time I was there, I was like, "What is all this going on?" And he said, "Oh, it's the uh, Electric Daisy. Mm-hmm. It's it goes on every year. It's right. out at the Speedway, and it lasts the week." Blah blah blah. Okay, so I'm watching the news there uh, at the end of the festival. I used to go there with the with Fox for the conventions, mm-hmm. and I'd be sitting there on the Monday after the when the concert ends. And I'm watching the local television, and the guy says to the reporter on the street, "So how is it down there?" He goes, "Well, it's been a great long festival, and this year nobody died." Uh-huh. <laughs> and they both they all laugh mm-hmm. because yeah. somebody dies every year, right? But this yeah. year nobody died. Well, somebody did die the next day. They in their mm-hmm. apartment. They found in a hotel room. But the point being, they're talking about every year somebody dies yeah. and laughing. Yeah. Because why? It's Las Vegas, man. Yeah. This kind of crap goes on all the right. time. I mean, okay, a person died. But so what? It, a person dies every weekend in Vegas. So yeah. it's, you know, it's not, I'm not saying it like to take it lightly, but when you're in that situation, they're used to it. Here, you know, the, there, are, there are three tractor trailers. So do you think that uh, Philadelphia is not going to honor their their uh, basketball team because last time somebody burned some cars in a parking lot, mm-hmm. they're yeah. gonna have forgotten all about it. I do, I do believe at, uh, it. Maybe like one person does die at uh, you know Bonnaroo every year. Uh, you know, people. You know, some people died at the, the original Woodstock. Um, yeah. So I now I um I want to know what was your take? Did you see? Did you see any bands? Um, did I actually watch a mm-hmm. whole thing with a band? Well, let me think about it. You know what? I would have to say I really didn't watch much of any bands. I think I was there when James Brown started. I watched a, lo- a couple. Of, there were a couple local bands there. Mm-hmm. I watched them. Uh, a lot of reporting uh, going on. Then and I was in the crowd, and they were all uh, encouraging Jewel to take her shirt off. And she goes, I'm not taking them out. She's mm-hmm. yelling at the crowd and they're booing her. Um, but I didn't really see much uh, of the bands because I just didn't. When I was in the media tent, I remember seeing the giant screen TV they had back there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mainly I was just hanging out. You know, I, I was backstage with Corn and Kid Rock Um and uh p diddy i think is what he went by yeah. at that time yeah or um, even puff all daddy those guys <laughs> but so maybe so you were really there because it was local and you were just like this is a huge event coming to my small town i want to record it um, exactly yeah so i i mean just curious out of your for your personality like what kind of music were you into at the time like what was your favorite artist in 1999 
1999. Well, I mean, I'm trying to think. In that in that time era, I mean, I've listened to a lot of different kinds of, of music. I, I was uh, worked on AOR uh, radio as a DJ for a number of years, playing like you know album rock, Led Zeppelin, mm -hmm. Beatles, that sort mm -hmm. of stuff. But that's you know classic rock at the time in the '90s. Uh, you know, I I I just been coming out of the '80s listening to music, mm -hmm. but I'm trying to think of the '90s. You know, it's kind of a void mm. when I think about a lot of the bands. I mean, I hated one group that I absolutely hated was uh, Pearl Jam. Mm, okay, <laughs> I did. I, yeah. I I just didn't like them. I did like Nirvana. Yeah, yeah. Back, you know, uh, that was a neat little group. But uh, I, I I a lot of the groups that were playing, I was familiar with, but. You know, I'm not a big fan of, of most of the groups mm -hmm. that were playing there. Yeah. Uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, I was a fan of mm -hmm. from back in the 80s. Right, right. When uh, they or threw us out of their dressing room. I was in a band, and they threw us out of their dressing room. Oh. <laughs> yeah, they had a... Well, they, not did only did they throw us them? out of the dressing room. Well, the manager was nice. Oh, okay. He came over and said, hey, you guys are going to have to leave. Uh -huh. The band is coming in, and, you know, we got to clear out. And we was like, okay. Well, then... Part part two happened. Oh, by the way, we're not letting you open up. What? Because oh. <laughs> no, Red Hot Chili Peppers do not have warm-up bands. So the reason they had our band there was this: they weren't really that famous then. Was to get the crowd. Mm -hmm. We were a very popular band, and um, so they booked us. You know, they said we were the warm-up band. We we did a couple of uh, warm-up shows like that where we were the local band that would bring people in. Right, right. But at the time, MTV was new, and they'd have these bands that weren't proven. And uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers was one of them, and I was a big fan of the mm -hmm. Red Hot Chili Peppers. So we were bummed out. We got kicked off the stage and kicked out of the dressing room. Wow. But that was one of the bands I, I was What um What was the name of this band? The band was called Roger Wilco and the Radio Waves. Uh, okay, nice. Um, what kind of music play, was it? Yeah, we used to play in the Northeast, like in... Uh, Pennsylvania, New York, uh, Vermont, New Hampshire, all that north, the Northeast. Cool. Play. Cool. Cool. Uh, what? Yeah. What? What style would you say the music was? Well, we we, we used to call ourselves a heavy metal disco. Okay. Uh, it was it was a uh, you know we were a we were an eighties band. Mm -hmm. You know, through and through, we were an eighties band. We used to play things like uh, Talking Heads, Clash. Uh, you know uh that kind of stuff cool is what we we really uh did did quite a bit of uh we you know we tried to play things like like we opened up for scandal when they came to town in fact the thing that was funny about scandal was they're coming to this big club mm -hmm. in uh the area and we got asked to be the warm-up band mm -hmm. and the radio station i worked at the radio station the guy you know says some band called scandal is playing mm -hmm. you guys want to open up for them I go, yeah. So, well, wow, it's one of our favorite groups. And he mm -hmm. goes, we've never, we don't play their music, never heard of them. Nobody will be there. Mm -hmm. Well, the place was packed, and I don't know if we were that big of an impact. It was packed. And the next day, uh, when I went to work at the radio station, they had a big note. Do not mention MTV on the radio again. Uh. We weren't allowed to talk <laughs> about radio. Cause every day, you know, people would talk about MTV, you know, just a uh, thing to talk about on the right. air. But uh, they saw that is immediate threat that, a threat of wow course. nobody's even played these people and the place was packed mm, with right, fans right.
So, so it's like a different avenue in which in which people were getting their you know their their new favorite artist you know that yeah they yeah they were watching MTV seeing them and they wanted to go see them in concert right and didn't care if they were on the radio yeah so so I I have seen your uh, documentary once I think it was about maybe a year ago before we ever uh, connected and uh, yeah as I as I said the the Stephen waters tape that ryan discovered we kind of called our mystery tape and we kind of dubbed yours like mystery tape volume two because we just we found your link on vimeo and uh it had a lot of that local um attention to it that we we were really into uh like the um the countdown to woodstock on the bridge was right was that that was you yeah that was filming that well well the city was putting that up mm -hmm. there and i was yeah. just filming it was that was in the HBO going... documentary? Was I don't know if footage? they used it or not. Do you remember which what footage was in the HBO doc? Uh, a lot of it. That's all I can say. Yeah. I don't know. I don't remember. I just remember hearing my voice in one clip and watching it, seeing that, wow. When I was first looking at it, because most of my the footage that they used of me was in the first maybe third or quarter and it was mostly a lot of my footage and i was getting bummed out because i they didn't pay me enough money but then i realized oh they just used it for the beginning so i said if it's like this the whole time man mm -hmm. but they only used it for the beginning so um, um yes it was a lot of a lot of it uh, a, yeah a, a fairly large significant portion of that was mine that would that would make sense because i mean and and that's kind of where ryan are, and i are at and sort of nerding out on some of the more behind the scenes stuff like i want I'm now looking like, ooh, I want to see more of these press conferences that they were having, these emergency press briefings and some of the city planner meetings, just everything like kind of leading up to it. That stuff to me uh, is really interesting. So it would also make sense that that would be kind of in, in the start of the HBO documentary where it was more of just kind of the preparation, the city itself. Um, what, so what did you think of the HBO documentary overall? Well, I, I thought overall it was it was good. And the eye-opening thing I told you was when they mentioned the fact that, wow, we went home every day and we came to a fresh concert. Mm -hmm. But these the camping people, I don't think that any of the camping people had a problem. Mm -hmm. They were there to rough and tough it out in the woods watching. It's those other people that that had a had a serious maybe serious a, their first issue. rodeo, their first music yeah. festival. Um, yeah, they're supposed. To, yeah, they're expecting to have, like, valet parking and 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 great seating and all. No, 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 no. You're yeah. thrown out in a field. Uh, Live with that. So, did you get uh, now? In that same vein, though, a lot of blame sort of has been placed on the organizers, uh, Michael Lang, John Sheriff. You know, saying that they were too greedy, that they were charging this much money for a ticket price, and then they're they're cutting back on security. They were cutting on the resources to clean the toilets, the water. They were charging too much for water. Uh, did you? Well, I, yeah, I, I think the infrastructure issues were were not good. Um, they, you know, they definitely uh, could have upped their uh, game on that mm -hmm. end of it. The the prices, realistically. Those kind of shows are always expensive. Mm -hmm. They're always. I mean, I was I was just mentioning the thing with uh, the Electric Daisy Carnival on, in Vegas, and those those tickets are like a thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, you know, and it's like, and wait, wait, you're in Vegas, right? Yeah. Where are you staying? Mm-hmm. Oh, you mean hotels that cost a couple hundred dollars a night? Right, right. So, you know, I know the price wasn't ha- something that would make people happy, but I don't, I don't think it was that outrageous. That that wasn't the worst of the problems. The, the infrastructure issues, yeah, I think they just did a poor job of security, cleanup, uh, uh, bathrooms, all that kind of stuff. And and it would lead to people's frustration. As I said, we got to leave every day. Mm-hmm. But you, if you're stuck there, I mean, I'd come in the the second and third day. There's trash all over the place. Yeah, I'm just walking in. There's trash all over the place. Yeah. But if I had to stay there, and that's what yeah. I went through day and night for three days, I get a little. You know, wouldn't wouldn't Maybe. be a, that great of a thing. Unless, of sure. course, I was a person camping, mm-hmm. and that's what they're used to. Um, I mean, so you were living there, so you weren't even in like going where you, you were just going home every night. Exactly. So, I mean, cause we've talked to people that, you know, had immediate pass, they were going to the hotel, but you're, I mean, you're kind of getting a hard reset. You're taking the dog out for a walk, whatever you're making, you're making food on your stove every night. Uh, like, uh, how, how long would you be there at a time? Were you there for 10 hours, 12 hours? Oh, I was hours? there I, I, a number of hours. I couldn't tell you. I'd mm-hmm. be there the whole day. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of, see, there are a lot of things too with that. Um, I was on a bus and there was a bus that was for everybody. And there were buses, shuttle buses to take you around town and surrounding areas. So I would try all the different things that were at my disposal. I rode the bus mm-hmm. and I rode the bus around. That's how I was with Waters. We were together on the bus, riding around to different places in Rome. Um, so that uh, that aspect, you know, was 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 interesting. And each day, I try to find something different to be able to experiment, experience. Mm-hmm. And if you looked in the documentary, there's a you know there's a there's an art exhibit. Has have you seen that in any of these national shows about the thing? No, they show the bands yeah. and the fires and talk about yeah. the problems. But there are a lot of other things going on at that yeah. show that, um, you know, to give to balance it out. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just the fire and bands playing and people causing problems. There, yeah. were, there was a lot of stuff I, happening. I love that you, I think um, in the documentary, there's like footage of, um, it's like a PlayStation sort of zone or something. Yes. Um, and because, you know, I know that there were like video game zones and there was like a extreme sports park and again, those are things you only really get like fleeting glimpses of, of all, all, I feel like all of these other sort of side activities would be such, such great snapshots of, you know, late nineties. I mean, nothing like a PlayStation tent to say like 1999, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. It was, you know, and those are the elements that are lost in uh, most of the reporting of what was going on there because, you know, fire violence, and uh inconvenience sells but saying oh this is a really interesting thing to do mm-hmm. no what about the fire right and right like okay well yeah. that was there too yeah um, i mean i and i just love like i love the the just the audience and just kind of seeing seeing people especially to any one time anyone's on camera the literally the way they speak the speech patterns the word choice the slang whatever like any kind of prevalent sort of uh, mentalities at the time it's it's all really present and so you it really does feel like a very uh rowdy late 90s kind of party um d- what would you say was like the most memorable 
thing that you saw or caught on camera? Um, well, I don't know if there's any particular, uh, specific thing. Uh, one of the, I mean, I had a lot of great fun things and I would not be considered grand by the scope of, uh, all the events, but, um, there were a large number of women that didn't have shirts on mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and guys were either taking their pictures or encouraging other women to take their shirts off. And I, and I don't know if they use it in the documentary or not, but this in, in one in mine, you'll see the one woman walks up to me and she has a written on across her chest. Show, show us your dick. Mm -hmm. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. And then, then I would walk around and I, and I asked a couple of people, you know, I said, I've been filming a lot of naked women and, you know, where's the, where are the guys? Oh, come here. And I, I did put it in mine. The guy brings me over and there are all these guys dancing around with their pants off. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was, that was a fun, memorable. Is it really, you know, something of a, a marquee level? No, but it, it was, <laughs> it was, it was definitely fun. That's, that's the part of it that made it like, okay, it's not just, it's not just a bunch of guys mm -hmm. that are, that are oogling women. Mm -hmm. Women, Hey, there's equal rights here, baby. Whip it out. <laughs> And yeah. uh, I shot that, and it was that was funny. I that mean, was funny. But was, as far yeah. as you know, memorable, you know, thing, iconic. Mm -hmm. I don't think I I I saw anything like that. I I got to see stories being told, like uh, it was a it was a kind of a weird story where because of the the what they predicted were traffic jams, and they set up all this stuff for all the people stuck in the traffic jam to be able to shop in their places. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I put it in the documentary um, and they had all these businesses. There was going to be a fair. They had parking. Well, the traffic was so good. Nobody stopped. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They just drove right through. Right, so, right. You know, I did the interview before that. I talked to the town clerk and some of the business people that were going to, yeah, we're going to do this. It's going to be great. Then I went there at the show and no traffic just zipped by us. It, so they were so they were disappointed that everything they promised about controlling the crowd of traffic came true. They really did a great job, but it really bummed out people because they anticipated them failing and they were going to be able to uh, uh, take advantage of that and and have customers and and that that didn't happen. Interesting. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, it, you don't really see uh too much too much uh nudity anymore uh in a typical music festival setting uh now everyone does have you know a smartphone so you know that probably people would just be whipping out their phones left and right if there was you know a lot of nudity like that um I'd, so now as far as the fires just to, you know because we're bringing it up and obviously you said you were there like do you how did that go down did were you there sunday night did you hear about it and then come back or take me well, through like your sunday it, experience in the fire okay, here's what happened to me on sunday <clears throat> i was down there and i was filming and uh it was getting late on sunday night i said well i've done i went home uh, I got in, I got home, I was unpacking my stuff. And my roommate says, wow, can you believe the fire? I go, what fire? Woodstock, it's on fire. And I looked at the TV, I go, when did this happen? <laughs> wow. You're like, I was just there. Wow. 
Yeah, I was just there. It was nothing like this. And he goes, yeah, that's a big thing. And again, I was watching it on TV, and I was going, oh, my God, look at this. And then, when, like I said, when I went down there, it was like the size of a small house fire. Mm-hmm. That area. And I mean, when did you go down damages. there? Sorry, was that Sunday, late Sunday night or early Monday morning? or What's that? When, when I went when, down when there? When you went down there. Exactly. I went down there uh, the next morning. Yeah, okay. They had a press conference. Yeah, yeah. And to talk about the night before. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I wanted to see the scene. And, and I, I was rather disappointed. If, well, not disappointed. I was surprised at how small it was. But on television, it looked like, you know, this huge thing it was burning down blocks, city blocks. And it was really like a, like a house fire. And uh, then after the fires, the next day on Monday, uh, did you were, did you attend that press conference on Monday? Yeah, I, I went to that press conference. Um, uh, and I, actually, it's in the documentary. And I, I mean, there are a lot of footage, and they were talking, you know, <clears throat> the thing. And the, well, the one uh, state trooper was telling people, it wasn't really a riot, he was trying to explain. It's just that's the only classification we can put it under mm-hmm. is a as a riot. There's mm-hmm. no there's no middle ground. It's mm-hmm. like it's a riot. But right. it wasn't really a riot. I mean, people were not out of control fighting with the police, with each other, mm-hmm. tear gas, cops. No, it was just a fire. People were dancing around a fire. And the cops told everybody to disperse, and they did. It it, it does seem like once the the police came in, it, it kind of things shut down like very quickly. Right. I've not found any uh, records so far of yeah of anyone kind of pushing back or you know attacking, going you know pushing back against the police. Um, no, I'm sure and people people the, were trying the, to have their fun, the, and then once it was like all right, time to get out of here, you know. Right, so. and that's what the police the officer was trying to say is like. It wasn't a riot. There was a fire and a bunch of rowdy people around the fire, but there wasn't a riot like in the street fighting, and there wasn't anything like that. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I said, "Well, I mean, I'm, that's what the cop was saying, and, and I don't think that the police are going to say that to to hide any facts. Mm-hmm. They truly, there weren't any incidents really. They just a bunch of people started a fire, damages to the vehicles and that, and then they they left." Now I'm curious. Uh, uh, I would I would be curious about like even beyond Monday, like the Tuesday, Wednesday after. Like, did you happen to go back after Monday just to see how that cleanup was going or anything? Yeah, they went. And they clean. You know, I mean, it, it's like anything that big. Yeah, they clean up in about a week or so. They mm-hmm. got all the 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 crap out of there. Yeah. Um. But you know, like I said, the scope of it, it's such a huge area, a huge area. If you if you imagine an airport the whole side the whole runway tarmac mm-hmm. it's a huge area right and right. then the woods outside of that though they had people camping yeah so you know it was quite a you know quite a large uh, uh project mm-hmm. uh there are many different aspects of it you could be part of it and not know about any of the other parts i mean like i said i don't really I don't remember seeing much of any groups actually playing any music. Mm-hmm. I was basically in the crowd and backstage and on the sides. Yeah. Um, so 
you know, people can have all kinds of experiences there. Mm-hmm. I mean, then there was the stuff at night, which I really didn't attend any of the raves mm-hmm. and all yeah. that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But that was going on too. Right. So yeah, I do think uh, kind of reviewing your foot. It's I I do recall. Yeah, there's this really great footage you have of like backstage of some of the people like Dave Matthews, Kid Rock, Puff Daddy. Uh, some of these, yeah. like the Dave Matthews, it's like he has just stepped off performing. He's all sweaty, right? He just like right. He just rocked out in front of a couple hundred thousand people. Um, so that's that is it is really cool because you've got that backstage access, and so it's like these real close ups of these just super hot in the moment uh, celebrities, musicians at the time. But then you're also going around. You're interviewing, you know. Uh, Griffo, like the mayor of Rome, you're interviewing just like local people and getting some of that footage. So it kind of it kind of has a good mixture of both. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll definitely like encourage you know our listeners to check out uh, your documentary because I mean that's the thing is you you made your own documentary, um, right? And, so, and yeah, it's, it's really a different look than most people have yeah. of the events. I mean. It doesn't. I'm not diminishing or taking away from any of the of, of what happened there, but this is an aspect of it that most people are not aware of. I mean, what I, was it yeah. like? What was it like there? Right. Yeah. The, you, know, you know, and I will say, um, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that you got paid, uh, by you know, to have the footage. Uh, for HBO, I would say there was there was times where uh, sometimes the HBO document did just seem to sort of have a bit of like a framed narrative um, in terms of, you know, the HBO documentary in particular did, you know, did really focus on a lot of the, mo- the more negative aspects of it. Yeah, the yeah, the people in, uh, you know, I had we we did a couple of uh, um, viewings of the, the premiere of the HBO documentary and uh, I, I work in a, an art house theater. And um, so we had a Woodstock 99 uh, HBO special night. We got permission from them to show it on the premiere. Oh, cool. And we had all the people like Griffo and all the people who were uh, players in it and, and fans. We sold out two theaters. And um, Griffo did not like it at all. Mm, mm. I I didn't think it was bad. I said, "Hey, you know, they they they're they're selling seats, but at the same time, the guy's serious point was, and that was these you guys all got to go home every right, night right. and come to the thing. These people were living like you know, in it. But as I said, the people that were most upset are the people that really haven't experienced life <laughs> and going to concerts. <laughs> they thought they were going to the mall." Mhm. And, and that and so that theater is in Rome. Yeah, it they uh yeah it would well it's the Capital Arts Complex is a Capital Theater and then there's the Cinema Capital which which is like an independent movie house but it's it's part of the complex and next door is the Capital Theater and they play like you know classic old movies and that sort of stuff. Mm, cool, um man that that is just that is really cool like I'm I'm really glad that uh, we got to talk to you, Rick. Um, like, seriously, thank you for, for your time. Like, it is it is really interesting to kind of hear this this uh, more, like, a more nuanced element, you know, of this whole big Woodstock 99 uh, puzzle piece. So Yeah, it, 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 it's such a big thing. As I said, 
people are really intrigued about the side of things that happen on the side. Usually the negative things talking about the concert, people who don't like it. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to do. And like as I said, you can do that with any sporting event or anything. Mm-hmm. If you don't like something, you can bring out all the negative aspects mm-hmm. of it. But if if you look at it honestly, were the were the bad things more important to the event than the good things? Really? Or geez, you didn't like it. So therefore you're gonna pick out those elements. You can do that with anything. Yeah. And and I think there were some major problems, but most people had a great time. Yeah. And did you have a good time? Oh, I was a blast. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I tell you, um, it was one of the best three or four days uh, that I've had. And and like people all, are all the time going on vacation. They go, Rick, I thought you were on vacation. I am. I go, well, you're, you've got your camera, your film. I go, yeah, this is what I do. <laughs> I go, nice. I don't have any fun getting on a boat. Oh, I'm going to go ATVing. Mm-hmm. No, what are you doing? Oh, I'm going to film some people ATVing and do yeah. a little piece on it. Nice. That's what I do for fun. I don't. I don't have any fun. Ride on a jet ski, man. Why? Mm. I doesn't. I don't get any thrill out of that so kind the, of stuff. The I, I documentaries like, uh, and journalism's. You know that that's that's in your blood. Yeah, and so. and you know, and and that's that's what I do. So so when I go to a concert, I don't really like going to concerts mm. <laughs> unless I'm filming it Mm -hmm. and then i can watch part of it and do what i do but to sit there very hard for me to do very very difficult to uh to just sit there and 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 watch a concert yeah i yeah i have to i have to be same thing with going to parties i don't like going to parties unless i'm working the party Mm. or it's my party or it's my show Mm, um just the way it is absolutely i I can relate to that actually (laughs) um Well, Rick, thank you so much. I really appreciate you uh, coming on Podcast 99. Hey, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. There you have it, folks. That was the survivor story of Rick E. Lewis. Now, uh, I'm going to put a link into the description of this episode that will take you to his own personally produced documentary before, during, and after Woodstock 99 20th anniversary edition it's a really great documentary uh and it gets really into the sort of the local aspect of woodstock 99 so if you're interested and want to check it out go check out the link i've got below uh and yeah it's it's a really good one and uh you know as always if you would like to be a part of the podcast if you worked at you played at or you attended Woodstock 99, you should please send us an email at podcast99 at gmail.com. We would love to hear any feedback you have as our Podcast 99 train continues to roll. Thank you so much. I'm Parks Miller, and I'll see you at Woodstock.